Welcome everyone to Counter Hegemony, a video and audio podcast about international politics, global capitalism, war, peace, crisis, and socio-ecological transformation in the 21st century. My name is Aaron Taus. Today's episode is about Colombia's armed conflict and the country's quest for peace. In August 2022, the former guerrilla fighter Gustavo Petro was sworn in as Colombia's first leftist president. Many observers believe that the chances have now increased to bring Colombia's armed conflict that has rocked the country since the 1960s to a close and to accomplish peace. According to the final report of Colombia's Truth Commission, over the past four decades alone, more than 450,000 Colombians were killed, over 120,000 disappeared, and more than 50,000 were kidnapped. At least 5 million people were internally displaced. In 2016, the Colombian government and the country's largest guerrilla group, FARC, signed a historic peace agreement. Yet since then, the violence in the country has not stopped. In many regions, massacres, forced displacements, and politically motivated killings continue unabated. In 2022 alone, 181 social activists were assassinated, and 91 massacres reported. The perpetrators of the crimes are right-wing paramilitaries, drug gangs, the military, or dissident fog fronts. In light of this reality, President Petro has vowed to give the peace agenda the highest priority in his government and to make good on his promises to pacify the country. To get there, he needs to make headway in three critical areas. 1. Implementing peace. Petro's first challenge is to revive the faltering peace process with the FARC and to speed up the implementation of the 2016 agreement. Over the past six years, no significant progress has been achieved on more than half of the negotiated reforms. So if the current trends continue, many of the measures stipulated in the agreement will most likely never be put into practice. Let's take a close look. The FARC peace agreement foresees a moderate land reform and the implementation of a rural development plan. Progress, however, has been very slow. The peace deal sets a goal of allocating 3 million hectares of private lands to small peasants and ethnic minorities. The idea is to reduce the high concentration in land ownership and the extreme levels of socioeconomic inequality that exist in the countryside. As we speak, over 80% of Colombia's arable land is privately owned. Of that area, a tiny minority of large landowners own more than half, while a majority of small peasants own only less than 5%. Unlike his far-right predecessor, Ivan Duque, Petro supported the land reform efforts of the FARC deal. Yet on the ground, the resistance from large landowners and cattle ranchers, who often work with right-wing paramilitaries, drug traffickers, and members of the Colombian military, is often fierce and violent. It's important to understand that in Colombia, political power remains strongly tied to land ownership. This is why judges, investigators, and prosecutors who are in charge of land claim cases, helping displaced peasants recuperate their lands, are often threatened and in some cases even murdered. 
In October 2022, the Petro government signed an agreement with the Colombian Cattle Racers Federation, FATAGAN, one of the country's most reactionary business organizations with documented links to paramilitarism. The deal aims to facilitate the purchase and sale of land that the government wants to hand over to landless peasants. The violence and the problems related to land restitution are, however, not the only obstacles to peace in the countryside. Over the past years, the expansion of large-scale mining and energy operations and cash crop agribusiness has often come with irreversible damage to the environment in the form of water contamination, soil degradation and deforestation. In many cases, extractivist megaprojects have also been a driving force behind the dispossession and the forced displacement of local communities. The FARC peace agreement also aimed to foster political participation in Colombia. Yet the negotiated reforms to strengthen democracy and expand security guarantees for opposition parties and social movements have largely remained dead letter. To this day, social leaders, environmental activists, trade unionists, human rights defenders, students, Critical journalists and also demobilized FARC members are intimidated, threatened and murdered on a regular basis. The main beneficiaries are large landowners, multinational mining corporations, agribusinesses and drug cartels. The lack of security guarantees was also visible during the unprecedented cycle of social protest over economic inequality and human rights abuses that rocked the country between 2019 and 2021. The Colombian police and the military committed numerous human rights violations, such as murder, torture, mutilation, sexual assault and forced disappearances. President Petro not only wants to reform the police, he also wants to ensure that the young protesters detained during the massive mobilizations are freed and recognized as, quote, agents of peace. With regards to protecting and compensating the more than 9 million victims of Colombia's armed conflict, little to no progress has been made. As mentioned before, the restitution of stolen land to displaced peasants is advancing very slowly, if at all. The same goes for the government's pledges to improve the victims' access to public goods and services and to invest in the economic, social and cultural development of the most abandoned and war-torn territories in the countryside. The state measures to combat impunity for serious human rights violations have thus far also been inadequate. This is why in October 2022, the Petro government began to strengthen the state's institutional framework to dismantle criminal organizations and paramilitary groups responsible for killings, massacres or acts of violence, targeting human rights defenders and social activists. Pedro's second challenge on the road towards peace is the resumption of the peace talks with the ELN, Colombia's still untamed and largest guerrilla organization. In early 2019, the negotiations were suspended by President Duque, following a car bombing of a police station in the capital Bogota, for which the rebels claimed responsibility. In November 2022, President Petro announced the resumption of the peace talks and reaffirmed the government's commitment to hammer out the details of a peace deal. 
Over the past years, the ELN has grown back to a size of between 2,400 and 3,000 fighters. The guerrilla group is currently active in a quarter of Colombia's national territory, largely in the oil-rich northeastern border region with Venezuela and the southwest near the Pacific Corridor. Under Petro, the prospects for a peaceful settlement look more promising than ever. Yet as this government has made no ceasefire agreements, the armed confrontations continue unabated. In search for broad alliances with sectors traditionally opposed to a negotiated solution, Petro confirmed the participation of the Colombian Cattle Raisers Federation. Compared to the FARC negotiations, the ELN's approach is clearly more radical. It aims at eradicating the underlying structural causes that have given rise to the armed conflict in the first place. What does that mean? The ELN's peace process will try to address Colombia's extractivist economic model, the country's sovereignty over natural resources, and the repressive apparatuses of the state. It will certainly be easier to discuss these issues under Petro, who himself was a member of a guerrilla group during the 1970s and 80s. Yet more resistance from dominant social forces is also likely. Backed by the country's oligarchic mass media, Colombia's right-wing opposition, financial conglomerates and foreign transnational corporations operating in the country will try to put pressure on both negotiating parties with the aim of delimiting the demands of the ELN. Another problem may arise from the guerrillas' internal organization. Since the early days, the ELN has been known for its autonomous federated structures. It remains to be seen if its delegation will successfully manage to represent and coordinate the interests of the guerrilla as a whole. The ELN has also announced that it will aim to foster broader participation of civil society. So for trade unions and social movements, the peace talks open new opportunities to intensify the struggles and change the public debate. The negotiations could even set the stage for a new round of social protests, spearheaded by Colombia's revitalized urban left. 3. Neo-paramilitarism and drug cartels Another great obstacle to the construction of peace in Colombia are paramilitary groups and drug cartels. Despite the official demobilization nearly 20 years ago, right-wing paramilitary groups still exercise territorial, political and military control in many parts of the country. Over the past years, the Gaitanist Self-Defense Forces of Colombia have emerged as the largest and most powerful neo-paramilitary group. The HSC currently operate in 25 out of Colombia's 32 departments. They have established strongholds in the southwest, south, north and northwest. The HSC are an alliance of hundreds of semi-autonomous groups. They are engaged in narco-trafficking, smuggling, payday loan lending, extortion, illegal mining, prostitution, pornography, sexual exploitation, and human smuggling. The HSC are clearly a politically motivated criminal organization. Yet compared to the paramilitary groups of earlier generations, their counterinsurgency agenda is less central. While in some regions the HSC have negotiated non-aggression pacts with the ELN and FARC dissidents, in others, they are waging an open war against the same guerrilla groups. The AJC's relation with the Colombian military is marked by similar dynamics. 
In many cases, the AGC's criminal activities are nevertheless sustained by the acquiescence of members of the military and the police, political elites and mafias. Transnational companies often pay for security, landowners, agro-industrialists and cattle ranchers for targeted acts of terror to prevent the restitution of wildly expropriated land. For decades, the narcotics trade has created the material basis for armed groups and criminal organizations in Colombia. The HEC, however, are just a link in a chain of transnational crime. They primarily serve as transporters for Colombian-Mexican drug cartels operating in the country and as suppliers for logistical services. Pedro's peace agenda clearly aims at the agency's demobilization. Yet even if he is successful, national and foreign drug cartels will likely seek to strengthen other paramilitary groups to not interrupt the chain of criminality and profit-making. The FARC peace agreement aimed to reduce cocaine production and dismantle drug cartels. Yet under President Duque, Colombia witnessed an expansion of illegal coca plantations. In 2020, 12% of the country's arable land surface was used for the production of coca leaves. In many regions, drug cartels have expanded their operations since 2016. Pedro has vowed to reduce the violent footprint of the narcotics trade in the country. He wants to dismantle or negotiate with the cartels, decriminalize drug use, and substitute coca plants with alternative development models. In conclusion, we can say the following. The historical triumph of Gustavo Petro has certainly increased the chances to bring the longest armed conflict in the Western Hemisphere to a close. Yet in light of the obstacles that lie ahead, achieving peace is a tall order. Many questions remain. Will Pedro manage to make real headway in the implementation of the FARC peace agreement? Or will the interests of the dominant social forces prevail and prevent any substantive social change? Will Pedro convince dissenting FARC groups to lay down their arms and give up their criminal activities? Will the negotiations with the ELN produce a final and stable settlement? Dealing with neo-paramilitarism and drug cartels will probably be even more difficult. I would argue that any serious policy to demobilize paramilitary groups and dismantle drug cartels must come with a plan that also deals with the subcontracted organizations. And not only this, as long as the root causes of Colombia's armed conflict, such as social inequality, land distribution, and the lack of public infrastructure in the affected territories are not addressed, all government efforts will likely be short-lived. Yet despite these difficulties and doubts, there's also reason to be optimistic. For Colombia's social movements, leftist parties and trade unions, Petra's quest for peace opens new opportunities to confront the reactionary social forces that are committed to maintaining their grip on power and to intensify their struggles for a democratic, socially just and peaceful country. If you want to know more about the challenges of the Petro government, please check out a recent article published in the New Left Review, which I co-authored with Forrest Hilton. If you're interested in the history of Colombia's armed conflict, I would recommend you two books. Forrest Hilton's Evil Hour in Colombia and Nasir Rishani's Systems of Violence, The Political Economy of War and Peace in Colombia. You can find the links in the description. 
So that does it for today's show. Let me know what you think by leaving a comment below. And if you enjoyed this video, please make sure to click the like button and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time.